0: Learning to let go, the case for community control. Giving greater control to communities has fallen firmly out of fashion in government, scarred by association with David Cameron's big society agenda and its arrival on the coattails of austerity. The community rights legislation passed in 2011 is now rarely mentioned, and the initial drive to push power down as far as possible has stalled. That's not to say nothing has changed, Despite the lack of attention, enlightened councils see giving power to community organisations as a good thing. In Luton, for example, the council had previously struggled with vandalism around public spaces. But when it worked with local residents to build a pop-up park as part of the Arches Big Local project, those same residents were quick to address any damage to the park they had helped bring to life.
1: My name's Stephen Perez, I'm a local resident and I work for the Arches Big Local as the Arches' local coordinator. Luton Millennium Green is a park that just sits on the cusp of our area. It started off as allotments, disused allotments, and around the turn of the century, so around 2000, there was a Millennium Greens project and it was transformed with the community. But quite rapidly, it kind of fell into disrepair. People stopped using it. Either people didn't know about it where it was a site of antisocial behaviour. Part of our plans was, was around green spaces or people saying they wanted more access to parks and green spaces. So the council took back ownership of it and we had conversations which were fairly positive but there was kind of a reluctance to do anything. There was a risk assessment on the part that said, if you work for the council, you weren't allowed to go there on your own because there was a perception of danger and, and reality and maybe reality is quite different to what people perceive. So we started going about speaking to local people about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it with the council um, as well on board as a partner quite a silent partner at first which was quite helpful because it kind of gave us room to breathe initially lots of people living around the park which is kind of like quite a notorious estate in Chatham were coming out and saying you know oh don't you know don't do anything it will get wrecked it will get destroyed we are just honest in our approach, saying, look, we're going to do this, we're going to try it, we'll see what happens. But people actually were coming out saying, oh, don't put that there because that sinks in this time of year and, oh, that place over there. So we kind of got a lot of local knowledge, so it turned out really good. We kind of had that community buying quite early because people felt engendered to the process in the sense of, oh, I said that or I did this or I did that. Not to say that we didn't have issues at first because someone tried to steal all the fence and someone tries to do this, but actually... Because people would be coming, turning up to my house or turning up with pieces of wood saying that this got broke or that broke, broke. Or well, we fixed it, because we planted lots of fruit trees up there, the trees have been torn out. I'd go up there and the trees were back in the ground and I'd go, oh, go yeah, well we replanted them. There was that sort of self-maintenance going on at the park. And really now, you know, touch wood vandalism is, is really something that we don't really see up there that often.
0: Speaking at the 2017 Local Government Association Conference, the Community Secretary, Sajid Javid, reflected on lessons from the Grenfell Tower tragedy and called for the voice of communities to be heard. He said, "'It is these kinds of communities we need to be much, much better at supporting. Above all else, they must be listened to. They must be heard. It must be an open and honest discussion across all communities, where consultation isn't just treated as a legal necessity, but a genuine engagement in which all views, even the ones we don't like, are treated as if they could actually be right, where we value voices dissenting or otherwise. What the dark example of Grenfell shows is there are still too many communities that are not even listened to, let alone given any power to make a change. So while we can be proud of projects like the Arches Big Local project in Luton, we need to go much further. But what can communities really do? Community control can achieve great things. Giving communities genuine power can help tackle the decline in local economies. We are all too familiar with the data. Inequality between the north and south of the country is growing. Economic opportunities are spread unequally across neighborhoods and outlying areas often do not feel the benefits. And the result has been anger and frustration in communities which feel left behind. The devolution of power from Whitehall to nine city regions has been presented as part of the solution. But their extensive plans for investment rarely take account of the concerns and needs of ordinary people in towns and villages. To really start to address the frustrations of those who have lost out, we need to drive power down to communities. There are many examples where communities are taking the lead to solve their own economic problems and tackle economic inequality at a local level. In particular, Where communities have been able to take ownership of things like buildings, playing fields and car parks, they are able to use them to generate money that can be reinvested back into the local area.
2: My name is Mark Pepper and we're currently sat in Lawrence Western Youth and Community Centre. We use the building as our base basically so this is where we come together to design and think up plans to better aid the residents of Lawrence Weston. A lot of our focus is based on community business opportunities and trying to create a sustainable income for our organisation and in turn for the residents in the long term basically. One of those plans came about by working in partnership with an organisation called Bristol Energy Network. They were proposing to deliver a solar farm on one of our underused fields. One of our main aims is as a residence group and what brought us together really was the fear of our assets being stripped from the local area and the profits of those assets then being distributed outside of the local area and the residents seeing no benefit. So we're really keen to support development providing it brings some sort of payback to the local residents. We've got a strong planning forum. We've got a neighborhood development plan, which gives us a lot more say over what and how things get built in the local area. So we use those those powers to negotiate a deal with Bristol Energy Network that says 50% of the surpluses generated from that solar farm will be paid directly to Ambition Lawrence Weston. That up-to-date is seeing us benefit to the tune of around about 160,000 pounds which obviously helps with our core costs, keeps me employed, other members of staff so we can start progressing the other plans, which include delivering our own 40 unit affordable housing site. Aspirations and plans are, are adrift for um, a community-owned wind turbine. Um, we've also got planning application for a £4.5 million community health hub. Why I do this work is for total and um, selfish reasons. <laughs> This is my own, this is where I've lived all my life. This is where I'm, I've brought up my children and planning to bring up my grandchildren. So I've got a massive vested interest in the area for those reasons basically, for my, for my kids, my grandchildren, our friends, our family. And obviously I've got a strong desire and love for the area that I was brought up in. And it's uh, a fantastic place to live with some fantastic community members. Um, and it's just a desire to improve our lot really.
0: This is community business at its largest scale. But other types of community-owned business, from shops and pubs to libraries and leisure centres, can generate smaller profits at the same time as providing valuable services and supporting jobs. There is also good evidence that community-led models can thrive where private businesses have struggled or wouldn't venture. Community-led housing organisations, for example, can build homes on small bits of land that major developers wouldn't touch. Leeds Community Homes, for example, raised £362,000 in 2016 through a community share offer to buy its first 16 affordable homes.
3: I'm Steve Hoey and I'm the CLT Director at Leeds Community Homes. We're sat in the community-led housing hub for the Leeds City region um, which has been uh, funded by power to change and we are involved in building affordable homes and also Uh, enabling other groups to build affordable homes in Leeds and the wider region. We see ourselves as a community land trust. Certainly in Leeds we know this housing market really well and it's a very mixed one. Leeds is quite a two-speed city with certain areas being very high value, affluent, and then other areas being much lower value, the same houses being a third the price of other areas and more well off. There is a lot of housing need, lots of people who would like good quality affordable housing but don't currently have access to it for a range of different reasons actually. We saw the huge need and we understood that and we just wanted to do something new and different to try and tackle that. One of our ambitions is to create a movement around people powered housing. We feel like we're making some headway in that and you know we have got quite a momentum behind the share issue and the project we want to do and then also around enabling other groups to do community-led housing in their own different ways.
0: Two thirds of investors were from Leeds, a substantial proportion from the more affluent parts, who were more interested in backing a local initiative to improve their city than they were in personal benefit.
3: We have 274 investors, as far as I can tell. That's the mailing list. And it's a range of different groups and people. So we have organisations, that bought shares, um, co-ops and other not-for-profits. Also, Power to Change Match funded our first uh, 100,000 with a 100,000 investment of their own, so that was a massive help. But our individual investors over 200 of them. And we, we had quite a cluster around North and northeast Leeds, interestingly. That's around the Headingley area where, where there's actually been this kind of activity before, share issues for a, a community enterprise which renovated an old school, uh, that's called Headingley Heart and that's still there doing really well. It's possible that the, the people who live in and around that area were already quite warmed up to this kind of uh, investment and the, the sort of issues that there are around it. They're all people that share our passion to do housing differently.
0: Likewise, hundreds of community shops are helping small villages. They have an impressive five-year survival rate of over 95%, compared to around 50% for small businesses generally. In a small village, a community shop can create significant impact. Indeed, it can be the single biggest employer in that area. In larger urban areas, you need a number of businesses to start to change the community's view of its economic future. One group from Liverpool has achieved such a change.
4: My name's Phil Nibb, I'm the Chief Executive of uh, Valley Community Trust and uh, the Neighbourhood Services Company. Where we are now is, uh, where we started, I suppose, something like 20 years ago, nearly 20 years ago, which is the community university. Uh, which was our first rail base uh, in the area, although being active in the area for some time, this was the first time we had our own base. Uh, so we called it the University because we wanted a lifelong learning centre, uh, deeply involved in education. Uh, that, that's our passion, if you like, or one of our main passions. So uh, we set up this base, the community University, and uh, this is the headquarters uh, for our development in and around the area. We started off oh, some time ago what was happening, there was a, a proposal to close a local school and at the time you would recognise the area now. High unemployment, deep-rooted deprivation uh, really. I lived in the area, I lived around the corner. Um, I was one of the fortunate ones that was working and you know, doing okay. I was on my way home from a uni meeting one night and uh, found out that the parents were meeting to try and oppose the closure of the school, which was one of the best facilities in the area you know apart from being a school that had you know a youth centre there that had football pitches different facilities that all the community used and to find out that was closing was a blow i wasn't a parent at the time but as a local person attended the meeting and um, got sucked in that's when it all started three years later we kept the school open um, although we had to take the school over ourselves because it was closed Uh, officially by the council but the parents occupied and uh, ran a school independent school for three years until it was taken back in by the council and we all went back to our day jobs if you like but kept the links and kept the activities going which we'd started to support the school about 15 years after the the closure we decided to get more involved in adult education because that was a way for people to get out of, of, of poverty if you like and deprivation or you know certainly we wanted people to have a say in what was going on uh, and we took this place over to the community university. You know, we we, we did become, and uh, we still are uh, an adult education centre, but now we are a bigger provider. We've got a college, uh, which we still work a lot on vocational uh, education and that's our sort of like main area of work, but we spread a little bit more. Uh, all Valley has got about eight different centres, in, including three community centres now. All, all, anything we've taken over similar to this building, it's been because they were closing. So we've got two sports centres, three community centres, three libraries uh, and a college. We are an an enabling organisation, that's that's what we see our role as.
0: Research by the Joseph Rowntree Foundation in 2010 showed that the community leadership of Alt Valley Community Trust had been significant in the regeneration of North Liverpool. But it is not just that community-led organisations can do the things that local authorities can do, it's that they can often do them better. 50% cuts to local authority budgets since 2010 have left local authorities with limited capacity. They are unable to support many of the services they once did, such as children's centres and youth services. Communities, particularly in disadvantaged areas, are bearing the brunt of this loss, but they can also offer solutions. Community ownership of public services is about much more than local people simply plugging gaps left by the state. It is about improving the delivery of public services by doing things differently. New Wortley Community Centre in Leeds offers a promising example of how community control can significantly improve public service delivery.
5: Yep, Bill Graham. I'm the community leader at New Wortley Community Association in New Wortley in Leeds. You're about one and a half miles from the city centre, train station here. So you're actually quite close to the city centre, which is the one of the richer cities in the north. You know, you've got one of the most deprived housing estates over there. We've got the tower blocks, which are 80% men that live in their own in those tower blocks, which we found out ourselves, because housing wouldn't tell us. That's the old community centre. We've got the new community centre. So we've got the two buildings that are both, as you've been hearing, you know, they're both really well used. There's a lot going on. They're open seven days a week, 151 hours a week between them. This is very much new work-life. Some housing estates, a lot of sheltered housing for older people and uh, the tower blocks. Like I say, you're only a mile and a half from Leeds City Centre, but you're actually in a bottom 1% in deprivation of the whole country and all the indices, unemployment, health, uh, crime and social behaviour, all that stuff. We work in partnership with school, the medical centres, you know, we've really built a really strong partnership up, led by the residents, it's called community-led, which we really think we're starting to have a really positive effect on the area, you know, getting people back into work getting people connected up, reducing isolation. So that, that is really a lot of the work that we do. And we've created some really nice space here. In the summer it's nice, we can put the tables out, we'll get festivals and fun days here. Friday night there was a big International Women's Day sort of festival here. We're starting to get a name for putting on events and stuff as well, which I think changes people's perception in New Worldly. So like I was saying New is seen as one of the less nice places of Leeds, to say it politely. You know, people often say they're from New Worldly and it's not a great place to be from. You often think that the idea that um, people have got problems and you can bring folk in to fix them, we think that doesn't work. I mean, people are part of the solution and people are part of how you sort things out. We take that approach with our ex-offender project where we have ex-offenders involved in leading the project because we think if, if people are going to succeed when they leave prison, what can be better than a, a role model of somebody who has managed to succeed when they've left prison, you know? Tend to meet people in prison before they come out, and we set up a plan for them for when they come out, which can involve housing and some sort of volunteering or activity to keep them busy. So we're very much about putting plans in place before people are released. And then there's, it is that thing where if people have got accommodation, they've got something to do during the day, and you, you've maybe got a positive social network, and chances are you won't reoffend. It, it seems simple, but people have really complicated lives, and it's actually not that easy. But we are trying to work very much on that basis.
0: Its work with people coming out of prison is led by a local ex-offender, and its results have been attracting national attention. Only two of the 80 ex-offenders helped by New Wortley have found themselves back in prison, compared with a re-offending rate in West Yorkshire of 34%. The real difference lies in the inclusive atmosphere at the centre. It is non-judgmental, and there is no stigma attached to someone recently released from prison. This reflects the community where the centre is based, On the new Wortley estate, everyone knows someone who has been in prison, and they understand why and how to help. The centre offers a community space for ex-offenders to find their feet, with support from a team of local people who want the same outcome. At Glamis Hall, a community-owned centre offering respite for older people, outcomes have been transformed by reimagining services from the perspective of local people.
6: Hello, my name's Alison Hill and I am the manager of the Day Centre at Glamis Hall in Wellingborough. It was owned and basically was run by the local council until 2015. The winter of 2014 it actually closed to clients because it was a discretionary service that the council didn't need to provide by law, so they didn't. Um, They were tight for money, so it was unfortunately one of those services that was deemed not necessary public outcry predominantly from the relatives of the clients that attended. It was enormous, absolutely enormous, which resulted in extraordinary meetings held with the council, with a campaign group. The campaign group, eventually after numerous meetings, were successful in gaining the building, and it was gift asset transferred over with an amount of money for repairs because the building was deemed to be in a shocking state of repair. First week of January, after it was closed in the December, on the first week of January, the charity was formed. They got the keys to the building. It was opened as a lunch club predominantly in the beginning to keep people aware that we were here. On the 9th of February, um, it opened fully again as a up and running day centre.
0: Staff there saw flaws in the local NHS system. The centre was racking up taxi bills, helping older visitors to get to GP appointments, while GPs were wasting time and money through missed appointments.
6: I was asked by several of the clients, in one particular week, could you phone me a taxi and book a taxi for me? I need to go for my flu job. And after about the fourth or fifth person asked me for this, and they're going to be paying three or four pounds either way for a taxi, I said, this is ridiculous, you know, our market is the elderly. The majority of them are having a flu jab. Why don't I contact the GP's surgeries and see if the district nurses could come here and do a block booking? One district nurse, one journey is better than 40 clients all having to get individual taxes.
0: The professionals now come to where the older people feel at ease. The service fits around people and not the other way around. And it saves people money. By reaching so many people in a single venue, a podiatrist visit costs £15 at Glamis Hall, compared to £30 for a home call. Both New Wortley and Glamis Hall show what can be achieved when you combine the strengths of community connection and informal support with more structured formal interventions. If you combine what professionals can offer with the natural social connections of local people coming together, you get much greater impact on well-being at lower cost. The connectedness point is crucial, Austerity has seen many traditional spaces where people come together disappear, as community centres, parks and street markets have closed. Out of this vacuum, community organisations are starting to fill the space. They allow local people to come together, find a voice and develop a sense of belonging. And they figure out together how they want to make the neighbourhood better. This can be seen powerfully in the experience of residents of the Granby Four Streets area of Liverpool.
7: My name is Joe Farragh. My role is um volunteer with the CLT local resident.
0: My name's Teresa McDermott. I'm a board member of the Community Land Trust. I was one of the group of people who set the Community Land Trust up. I help run the market with Joe, and I'm a resident too.
8: My name's Ellen Lee. I'm a resident. I'm also one of the people who set up the Community Land Trust and I'm currently on the board.
0: We're in a an area of South Liverpool, very close to the city centre. It's an area which has got to be the most multi-racial area, certainly in the North West, I would imagine, but it's the oldest black community in Britain. It's an area of uh, mostly Victorian housing of different sizes. They're the only original architectural
8: (laughs) Victorian houses that's left standing. We're the only ones. Everything else has been demolished. So it's a really beautiful area. I think that's important
0: to say. Following the Toxteth riots in the 1980s, the Granby Four Streets area of the city was left to decay. Because it had been under threat of demolition
8: for so long, it was quite extraordinary living here. It was just like another world, really. There were maybe eight people in my street out of, what, 65, 70 houses. Mm -hmm. Everything was boarded up. Everywhere was overwhelmingly full of rubbish. And so it was like a place that time forgot a bit. It was like, you know, the opposite of who lives in a house like this. But in about 2007, a few of us started gardening and planting and painting empty houses. And there was something quite powerful about doing that, not just sitting in a room and meetings, and not just having endless conversations about how trapped one felt and how helpless, really. It was so overwhelming, I think, the dereliction and the number of tinned up properties. So there was something very powerful about getting out and doing something, and that was quite heartening. And that started to change the whole atmosphere in the place.
7: I suggested that people adopt the house facing them
8: mm-hmm. and
7: paint it up. The only problem with that is there wasn't too many people took up the adoption of the house facing. So I just got the ladders and started painting them. At the end of the street, her son lives in Wales facing one of the castles. I think it's Harlet Castle. And her favourite view was when she looked out of the bedroom window and seeing Harley Castle. Her son came over and painted the view. On the window, so there was a bit of thought going into it. For me personally, it meant a lot. When me and my wife Teresa would get up and we'd look out of the window, bedroom window, you know, open the curtains, and all you see is black bricks facing you. It's horrendous, you know. And and that went on for years, and we're getting more and more because more and more houses were closing facing us. So then when you then open the curtains again, and you're confronted with lovely colours and you know <laughs> stuff which you spend time doing, it makes a huge difference to to your well-being.
0: Through this collective action they started to develop their own vision for the future of their streets. Eventually their resistance bore fruit and the council invited them to the table to help shape plans for the future of their area. As part of this they were offered the opportunity to take ownership of ten of the derelict properties from the council and use them as the foundation for a community land trust that would give the community a permanent stake in the future of the area. This last part is crucial Residents weren't just given a say over their own community, but control of it. Today, Granby 4 Street's Community Land Trust continues to offer local people a way to come together to take action about the things that matter most, while also generating revenue to benefit local people through the development of affordable homes. What all of these examples demonstrate is that it is essential that communities have not just a say, but a stake in their futures. The factor underpinning the effectiveness of the solutions, whether in Luton, Liverpool or Leeds, is that the organisations are not just alternative voluntary sector providers of services. They are organisations rooted in and run by their local communities. Most of their staff are local, and local people visit them, not to receive a service as a customer, but to have a hot meal, have a chat, and get some help from others with whom they feel they share a connection. In the past, economic regeneration initiatives invested billions in deprived communities, but they didn't give communities enough of a stake in what was going on. Because what defines the community stake in all of the examples given is the ownership of different types of buildings or land, and that is because ultimately ownership equals power. Community ownership and control does not mean professional expertise and experience have no value. Communities need the skills and advice of planners, surveyors, architects, lawyers and a host of others to turn their vision into reality. But communities bring their own expertise too. They often understand the issues more deeply, have a more instinctive sense of what will work, can identify potential hurdles from a mile off and provide the impetus to fix the fence in a fraction of the time. But the question of ownership is not just about who knows best, but also a question of who sets the rules. Ownership allows communities to set the rules and inviting others to support them in realising their ambitions. They can tap into professional expertise rather than allowing that professional expertise to dominate. The experience of Myatt's Field Park project illustrates this neatly. The community organisation had plans to refurbish a rundown building in the park to create a more welcoming, better used community space for local people in South London. To secure independent finance for the project, the organisation required an extension of its lease from the local authority. Rather than extending the lease, the local authority offered to provide the finance itself and offered up its contractors to do the work. On the surface of it, the outcome is the same. The community ends up with a refurbished community space as it wanted. But throughout, the local authority was in charge of the timetable, not the community. And this undermined the stake of the community in the outcome. The community lost out in the deal, and it didn't get control. So how do we go about growing community ownership? Community action often starts small. A litter pick, a local street market, a community festival. These small steps are vital to build momentum and get local people to see that things can get better. But if we want to see lasting change in those communities which have fallen behind, we need to enable more community action to progress on to community-run enterprise and community ownership. What we need is a revolution in community ownership that allows local people to address the challenges they face by making the most of what they have in their communities. Government at all levels can enable this revolution by creating the foundations from which community ownership in Britain can thrive. But it must not lead. It must learn finally to let go and let communities lead. An inclusive economy and society has to be built by local people from the bottom up. Find out more about community business and how you can get involved at www.powertochange.org.uk Visit a community business during Community Business Weekend, 4th to the 7th of May 2018, the National Open Doors Weekend. Go to www.communitybusinessweekend.org to find one near you.